This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a wonderful show for you today. Real serious topic, real uh, one of real importance, and uh, we're going to be talking about wine and health, and wine as part of a balanced lifestyle, and we are joined live in the studio uh, by Dr. Shelley Sethi, who is a uh, physician here in Austin. She has a family practice, and she specializes in integrative and functional medicine. We're going to be talking all about what she does there, and uh, and we're going to be digging into a real deep dive into what wine does in health and how it's part of a balanced lifestyle. So really looking forward to this discussion, so stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Dr. Shelley. Austin, Texas, thank you so much for listening in and being here for this conversation. We talk about wine and the wine industry for an hour every week, and uh, today's a little bit of a departure because we're we're going to be talking about the importance of wine in 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 health and all of the benefits and maybe some of the the uh, the, the side effects if it if it's uh, overdone or or not done in moderation. So, Dr. Shelley Sethi, thank you so much for being here in the co-op studios. Thank you for having me. Uh, so first of all, so let, let's just glance on your, your practice a little bit, and then later in the show we'll talk in a little bit more depth. But you do you specialize in integrative and functional medicine. Can you tell us first off uh, what that means and where you're coming from? Yeah, sure. So integrative medicine is really a combination of kind of the best of conventional medicine and um, really an integration with sort of ancient wisdom and healing, such as, uh, you know, Ayurveda and um, uh, Chinese medicine and a variety of different other things, um, and really does integrate the best of both. And then functional medicine um, being slightly a bit different, um, more of a focus on root cause medicine as opposed to just treating a disease. We typically will take an approach and look backwards and see if we can figure out root cause and basically allow the body to heal itself by correcting root cause. So I practice both, um, and really the, the most important thing is the relationship. And so I focus a lot on the relationship between myself and my, my patients. Because I would imagine that everybody has their whole microcosm or, you know, of things that are going on in their body and everything is connected, right? And so it must be a challenge, but also when things, you know, go right and you find those root causes or you find how something is connected to something else, it must be very rewarding, much more so than maybe, you know, um, uh, prescribing a medicine or something like that. It really is much more rewarding. And um, I think the most amazing part of this journey, even of mine, has been really watching patients and people understand how so many different lifestyle factors actually affect their health. You know, that a disease doesn't just exist in isolation, but that they can actually do something about it by really thinking about what they're eating and drinking, 
um, and thinking about the choices that they're making as far as managing stress and environment. So it's been it's been a really rewarding experience. Oh, we're going to be talking about a little bit about that that bad S word uh, stress in a little bit here as well. So, but if folks want to follow along, they can check out your website. It's uh, www.drshelly.com, and it's a lovely website. And of course, for all things co-op, www.koop.org. Uh, can we start talking about wine and uh, what's uh, that's that's what we do here on this show and um, and sometimes we're tasting a lot of bottles outside but uh, how just in a broad brushstroke um, how does wine play into a very healthy lifestyle? Yeah, that's a really great question and I think that the answer is that it can play in in many different roles. So there are lots of health benefits that wine has, specifically in the compounds that it contains. And we can get into that a little bit more. Um, And then I also think that, you know, one of the most important things that wine can do is bring together community. And um, in the type of work that I do, I find that community is really going to be and should be the doctor of the future because I feel that that's what heals us is our connection to other people. And so wine can be a really great way to bring people together. Um, And also, you know, for people that sometimes are dealing with a little bit of stress or anxiety, um, sometimes just a bit of red wine or, you know, wine itself can actually help to relax them just a bit and mitigate that response. Right. So that, that idea of community probably really ties into, uh, before medicine was really, you know, drawn out and very well studied, but, and then also, uh, this idea of, you know, the three hour French lunch or, you know, spending hours and hours around the table, drinking, eating, and having a lot of companionship with your friends and loved ones, right? Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, there's, Uh, Some of you may be familiar with the French paradox, you know, that we do see higher rates of cigarette use and higher rates of just wine consumption and uh, higher saturated fat in the diet over there. Um, But there tends to be much less heart disease and some other health concerns as well. So that's a bit of a paradox. Um, And the thought is that, you know, some of that does um, revolve around a number of factors, Um, partly that, you know, they tend to walk a little bit more, but also that their dinners are long and drawn out and they are, you know, meal times tend to be centered around family and community. We actually went um, to the south of France a few years ago with friends, and I had booked a number of dinners in a row, not realizing that each one would be three to four hours long. Um, And I, I mean, we literally took a break during dinner and walked outside got some fresh air and came back for the next course. But it was really phenomenal. The The food itself was not in large quantities. And of course, there was, you know, a moderate amount of, of wine drinking along with it. Right. So so I guess folks who are listening out there have uh, certainly my permission and maybe your permission to be having three-hour lunches, right? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Doctor's orders. But, but, but I guess, I guess the, the interesting thing about that is that that's not just kind of a, a an elusive thing. There's actually a medical benefit to that, 
and and you know is that very well documented are we still kind of studying that and then we'll get into the the um the components of wine and and some more of those benefits but just the the concept that you spend hours around a table eating and drinking and being with your community i mean that has not just a a lifestyle benefit but an actual medical benefit right yes there are actually documented studies on that and in fact Um, There have been some other studies that have come out more recently just looking at how relaxed you are when you actually take in your food can decrease or increase the absorption of your nutrients by up to 50%. So I think, you know, there was a reason for sitting in silence before dinner or maybe holding hands and saying a prayer together just for five or 10 minutes or maybe having a glass of wine prior to sitting down, you know, at dinner because the body gets itself into a state of relaxation and so then the blood actually uh, gets shunted to the stomach where digestion can happen. If you're in a state of stress, then the blood is actually shunted out to make things happen like increase your heart rate and increase your blood flow so that you can actually run away from that stressful thing. Um, And so you can imagine if you're in a state of stress, you don't need to be focused on digestion. And so then the blood flow doesn't need to go to the stomach. So relaxing prior to dinner or throughout dinner can actually increase your ability to maximize the nutrient benefits you're getting from your food. Wow. And that can vary your nutrient uptake to up to 50% uh, in in the negative. That is remarkable. Wow. So, um, well, I know that I'll, I'll be, I'll be slowing down a little bit, uh, too. And I guess, I guess through evolution, uh, you know, the idea is if you had that stressor and it, and digestion didn't matter, eventually you would, uh, be in a situation of, of relaxation to actually uptake those nutrients. And it's this modern day stress that is omnipresent. I'm not sure there's probably a, a technical term for that, um, low lying stress that, 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 that's a problem with, digest digestion when we're never taking the nutrients in right yeah that can happen uh chronic stress can certainly lead to chronic inflammation and then if you have inflammation throughout your gut it's going to really decrease your availability to um, adequately intake the nutrients i like to call it you know taking the lion to bed with you and then having it follow you around day in and day out. <laughs> and, right. you know, in, in ancient times, our stress was, you know, the predator and we would turn on our, our sympathetic nervous system so that we could um, get into fight or flight mode and escape. But then we very quickly would, we were either dead because we were eaten by the predator or we were um, gone. And so then we would enter into the relaxation state and then things would, you know, start to, the, the blood would function in other ways in the body like digestion. Right. So for, um, in your practice, is that, is that kind of one of the first steps that you tackle is this, this concept of digestion and nutrient uptake? And, um, I know that that's kind of a big part of, of what you do. How is the, are there things that you can test for or how do you tackle that, uh, as a, as a practitioner? Yeah, that's a really great question. I definitely believe that all disease starts in the gut. Um, And actually, Hippocrates, who's the father of medicine, said it many, many years ago. So um, that can mean through the food that we take in and the um, beverages that we take in, or it can also mean through, you know, the gut being healthy or unhealthy. Um, so we oftentimes will start with the gut and we can test. We can test the gut through stool testing. <laughs> uh, we can also test through a number of other uh, means to look at how well you're breaking down your food, your carbohydrates, your fats, your digestion um, of all of those different um, essential 
Uh, and and those are perhaps not tests that that are normally part of an annual physical that you have to kind of take that not. one step further, right? Yes, they're not typically part of your annual physical. We like to call them functional tests because what we're really looking at is how well your body is functioning. Um, and that's where the functional medicine part of it comes in. Why don't we do more of more of that? I mean, to see how we're we're functioning as a as a thing, you know, well, uh, good for you to to really be tackling that. Yeah, Um, I think we're in an age where we just, the science is definitely increasing our ability to really look at some of these things. So it's exciting. Yeah, very cool. So wine, uh, if we we tumble back into uh, this wine as maybe a de-stressor and a community that that will, uh, and a community unifier that will maybe uh, optimize our digestion, what other things does wine do when we actually take, take it into our body? Yeah, so wine is really interesting because, um, and specifically red wine, um, there are a number of components in it that are actually very, very beneficial to our health. And I do want to reiterate that when I'm speaking about drinking wine, I'm talking in moderation. Right. Um, What is moderation? Yeah. So for an average male adult in our country, moderate drinking is probably up to two glasses of red wine or wine. Um, a day. And for women, that's really up to one glass. And that's about four ounces. Right. So not your like extra, you know, big pour. <laughs> right. Not, not the big burgundy glass, which, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, wonderful. And, and then, um, and because of that, it's, it's not the, the, all the other stuff in wine, it's particularly the alcohol, right? So, so if we take the same amount of alcohol and, 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 uh, and relate that to a beer or a spirit, it's all based on that amount of alcohol, right? It's based on the amount of alcohol. And what's really interesting, the reason that men typically can drink more um, alcohol than women is because wine enters the body, alcohol enters the body, and about 80% of it is taken in through the stomach lining into the bloodstream. It, it actually bypasses some digestion and just gets directly into the bloodstream. And then 20% of it is um, taken in through the small intestine. Sorry, 20% in the stomach and 80% in the small intestine. And what happens is that um, in men, and then the water, the water content of your body actually dilutes out the alcohol. And in men, men tend to have more muscle mass. Muscle mass has more water. So if a man drinks the same amount of alcohol as a woman, the alcohol in his body will, will be more diluted. In a woman, it'll be more concentrated. So that's why women typically will, you know, get drunk or faster, or you know, see the effects, and and typically can't drink as much without um, as men can taking in the same amount of alcohol. Right. So um, the other interesting thing is that men actually have a enzyme in the stomach that women don't seem to have. And that enzyme tends to digest alcohol so that less of it is actually entering into the bloodstream itself. Um, so that's another reason men can typically drink more than women. Now, there is a little bit of alcohol that's absorbed in the mouth, too, right? But, but, and which I, I know because if I'm tasting and spitting, you can still subtly see some of the effects, um, but, but certainly to a lot lesser degree. But that's, that's how, you know, professionals might be able to taste 30, 40 wines, but they're spitting. And so that's not right. getting into their stomach. Now, um, so you said, what were, the, what were the percentages again? It was, so 20 
20% through the stomach and yeah. 80% through the small intestine. And, and so that 80%, so if there's food involved, that um, the, the, the 80% from the small intestine will be maybe delayed or regulated, right, through through the, the, the food digestion in the stomach. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So food intake will definitely delay the ability of the alcohol to just pass directly through the barrier and into the bloodstream. Um, so that would be an important way of being able to, if you wanted to prolong your ability to drink, <laughs> right, that would be what you would do. Right, and food and, and, and particularly some sort of foods, or is, th is that... Uh, high in fat or, or, or what, what, what would delay the food more? Are so, the, well, fats tend to, you know, have delayed absorption. So that would be my, my recommendation would probably be, you know, foods that have some fat. Carbohydrates tend to get broken down a little bit faster. And, you know, in just as a general rule of thumb, if you are eating carbohydrates, like, you know, pasta typically with wine or something of that nature, you're going to want to have some fat and, and actually the fat will even delay the breakdown and absorption of the carbohydrate itself. So, um, so that's what I would suggest. Yeah, wonderful. If you're just tuning in, uh, this is Another Bottle Down, and my name is Mark Rayshap. We're talking with Dr. Shelley Sethi, who uh, has a practice here in Austin. It's a family practice specializing in integrative and functional medicine. I am so glad that you are here with us. Her website is drshellysethi.com, and this is koop.org, and I will post a link on our blog along with some other information. Um, boy, we're just touching the surface here because we're, we're just talking about one component of, of uh, wine and we're talking about wine as a part of a, a healthy lifestyle. Um, do and and uh, and I'm going to take some calls uh, later on in the show. Uh, if you if anybody has any questions for Dr. Sethi here, um, I, I see somebody calling now, but we have to wait uh, just uh, towards the end of the show. Um, so, um, so okay, we have we're talking about alcohol, and do we see the same benefit? Those sorts of benefits, the, the the benefits that we see with just alcohol, you know, moderate consumption of alcohol, do we see that across beer, spirits, and wine? You know, there are some benefits to um, alcohol, but specifically, most of the studies have really found that the benefits are highest in red wine, and. It seems as though the major component for that is resveratrol, yeah. which I'm certain that some of your listeners know what that is. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. So that was one of the uh, chemicals in the grape that that started to get a lot of attention when uh, when this French paradox came out. With a story broke on sixty minutes. I forget what year it was, but it was it was fifteen or so years ago. Um, tell us a, a, exactly what resveratrol is. Yeah, so resveratrol is actually a um, phenolic bioflavonoid, and it's an antioxidant. It's produced mainly by different plants, and it's found um, in high content in grapes, and especially higher content in red wine. And that's because red wine gets uh, fermented with the skins, and we tend to find the resveratrol in grapes from the seeds and the skin. So plants that produce resveratrol actually do so as a mechanism to fight off uh, different types of stressors. So it can be environmental stressors, it can be insects, it can be fungi, even UV radiation. So there is some protection actually from resveratrol against sunburn, for example. Um, we know that um, resveratrol has lots of health benefits. 
And so we can get into that. Right. Yeah. Let, let's do that now. So we find resveratrol in the in the grape skins, um, a phenolic compound. We also find it in other beverages, right? I mean, pomegranates might have uh, quite a bit or something. Yeah. We find it um, in high amounts in blueberries and raspberries. We also find it in bilberries, which I've never had one of those. <laughs> uh, but I did see that it's pretty high in the, in that fruit as well. <laughs> right. And, uh, but so, so there was a, what was the kind of the process that, that this came about that they kind of discovered that this, and then there has been, uh, and you might tell us more, there has been an attempt to kind of replicate this in a pill form or something like that to, um, and, and those studies have may, maybe not have actually yielded very good results. So I guess let's start with, um, with how they kind of found that resveratrol was something that was really worth studying and also something worth talking about in wine. Yeah, I think, you know, my understanding, and there are different, I think, um, theories about this, but my understanding is that when, when they were looking at these cultures that have longevity, um, they're seeing some consistencies and some of that had been, you know, in these, in the intake of these, um, high resveratrol containing fruits and berries, um, and wine in some cultures. Um, and so in actual lab studies, they began to utilize that compound in rat and mice studies, and they were noticing that those rats and mice were living longer. And uh, that's when they went back and thought, well, you know, could this be one of the reasons why we're, you know, seeing some of the longevity in these various cultures? Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break. We need to um, go and hear some announcements, but we're going to we're going to uh, come back and hear more about resveratrol and health and wine. Uh, again, we're here with Dr. Shelley Sethi, and uh, we'll take a short break here for some announcements and be right back. All right, thank you so much here for being with us. My name is Mark Rayshep. This is another bottle down. Um, I'm really, really happy to be here live in the studio with Dr. Shelley Sethi. Uh, she has a family medicine practice specializing in integrative and functional medicine. Uh, we're going to take calls towards the end of the show, uh, probably in the last 15 minutes or so. So uh, if you have something that is uh, burning, you want to talk to Dr. Shelley, we'll, um, uh, we'll open the lines up in, in about uh, 20 minutes or so. So um, so, Dr. Shelley, thank you again for being here. And uh, we were talking about resveratrol. Um, what? Let, let's kind of finish that conversation. I mean, so we had these studies with various animals and whatnot, but there was also interest in certain parts of the world, right? Did did that uh, did that kind of lead us to anything? Yeah, we've we've seen, uh, for example, in the blue zones, um, which is a study looking at five areas of the world that do have the um, the majority of centurions, so people living into their hundreds, um, that there are again some consistencies with this particular antioxidant intake, and um, in some of those countries such as Sardinia, um, they do have a particularly high content of resveratrol in their wine there. Um, and so, you know, again, this has really kind of um, spurned the discussion about resveratrol in a number of studies that have resulted since then. Right. 
What would have been some of the other studies? I mean, I know that there are some folks who who are saying that the increased amount of resveratrol um, is maybe uh, somewhat ins- insignificant over in, in the the climate of uh, the overall resveratrol in wine. Um, and then there might be some other things as part of their diet or maybe their stress level that might lead to to these. But but no matter what, there is something that's special that's happening in these places, right? Yeah, you're 100% right. And I think that that's a really important point because, you know, we can look at nutrients in isolation all that we want in a lab. Um, but really, you know, that's not what's happening in the human body. It's also not what's happening to humans in community. So yes, the factors that really were consistent amongst all of those bivarias were really movement, you know, stress reduction, community, having nutrition that was organic and local. And, uh, you know, there was, there were a number of things, high levels of antioxidants, either through plants or through wine. Um, and so all of those in conjunction, it's really hard to tease those out. And I actually don't know how important it is to tease those out because we don't live in a bubble. We don't, you know, live in isolation with just picking and choosing the nutrients that we want to put into our body. So as a general rule, I'm always a big fan of whole foods. Um, And so that actually brings me to, you had asked a question earlier about supplementing resveratrol. And so if that seems to be the compound in wine that we're isolating, why not supplement it? Well, you know, those studies really haven't panned out. We have not seen the benefit with um, high doses of resveratrol that we have seen or we have, you know, um, looked at in red wine. And I think, again, there's a likely component of synergistic effects in the entire Um, you know, red wine process. There are a number of other chemicals and compounds that are actually in red wine. Um, So some of them... let's dig into those. Yeah, so some of them include um, epigalactocatechin, (laughs) which is a really big one. We see that um, in green tea as well in in pretty high doses there. Um, And it's one that we have a number of research studies going on looking at it for the prevention and treatment of cancer. Okay. Um, it, red wine also contains quercetin, which is actually a great compound used for allergies. And uh, quercetin is also found in onions and apples. So, you know, in Austin, we obviously have high allergy season, especially during cedar. And I tell many of my patients and clients to go ahead and increase their consumption of, you know, grapes and onions and apples and the things that contain quercetin. We also see, um, again, those levels of resveratrol. But I, I think that a number of these compounds are, you know, working together synergistically, and we just don't have all the answers yet. Right. So. And, and that's such a, a, you know, I don't want to say American thing, but, you know, we, we, if we want to take a good thing and, and isolate it, and that's kind of the solution, whereas this concept of integrative medicine, medicine and taking a look at the whole ecosystem of what is going on in your body, I mean, it, I think it's becoming more and more important as we, we learn and, and, and have these studies that say, oh, if we isolate it, it might not do the trick, but, um, but but, you know, it's the whole package, right? What, um, so I guess we should say, that, and those other benefits and those other, other compounds are found only in red wine as well? Um, or are they both red and white? 
So some of those other compounds are found in red and white, but resveratrol particularly is found only in red because it's in the skin. And so, and you know more about the, the making of wine way more than I do, but uh, the skin is, is kept, right, in the making of red wine. So. Right, and that can spend, so the, the wine as it ferments, it has to ferment with the skins because the color is found in the skins along with all of these phenolic compounds. And so for white wine, the most common uh, practice is to harvest the grapes, whether they're red or white. A lot of folks don't realize that you can actually make white wine out of red grapes. Uh, actually, they do that in champagne. Two-thirds of the grapes are red even though they make white champagne. But uh, the juice is would be white wine. So if you press the grapes, whether they're white or red, immediately then you have white wine. There's a very, very small percentage of grapes that actually have uh, red or pinkish flesh, but they're not very common. And so all of those crazy phenolic compounds being in the skins, uh, with red wine, it could spend up to seven days and maybe up to three months uh, on the skins. And all throughout that time, uh, the all of those nutrients and all of those chemical compounds in the skins are being extracted and brought into the wine. And so there's many, many variables that actually facilitate that extraction or speed it up or slow it down or inhibit it, which we won't really get into here. But um, but there, that's a its own very complex process. But that um, you know gives us insight into why the red wine that spends so much more time on its skins and also has more uh, of a certain flavor profile as well. So. Um, well, very, very cool. I mean, we've been kind of, uh, we've glanced over some of the overall health benefits, right? You touched on maybe some anti-cancer uh, sort of stuff and, um, and digestion. Can we delve into some of the, you know, really known benefits of, of wine, uh, of moderate wine consumption? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start with, I think, some lesser known um, benefits oh, because <laughs> most people know about the cardiovascular benefits and, and even some of the anti-cancer benefits. Um, but interestingly, a lot of people say, well, doesn't wine make me gain weight? And interestingly, um, though there's a sugar content that's, you know, fairly decently high in, in wine, um, there seems to be some positive effects on weight, which actually may, um, help prevent obesity. And the thought there is that it is actually through this gene called CERT1. And what we see with CERT1 is that when that is actually turned on, we, um, we tend to see some insulin, um, you know, benefits there. Um, so insulin levels seem to be a little bit more mitigated. Um, and we're not sure exactly how this is happening. It's, it's a little bit unclear. But, um, but we do know that moderate consumption of red wine may reduce um, weight itself. And even in lab studies where we were looking at kind of overweight rats and mice, it seemed to mitigate the effects of the obesity in those rats and mice. This is really fascinating. Can we, can we delve a little bit into why there might be a misconception as to why uh, wine might or, or alcohol consumption might uh, cause weight gain? Uh, is, is, is there something to that? I mean, I think that there's a big misconception out there as to calories via alcohol as opposed to actual sugar content, right? Is, that, is there something there? Well, I think that, you know, again, we need to 
think about the amount, I think that's really important to make note of because once you do go over what we're calling moderate consumption, you do start to see some negative effects on insulin uh, control and insulin resistance in the body. So sticking within the moderate consumption, um, again, a little bit unclear, uh, you know, how the, um, the, the wine itself is actually helping with, with weight control, um, as opposed to, to helping, you know, to causing an increase in weight. And, um, as far as the calories, I mean, we, I think that myth has been dispelled, you know, a calorie is not a calorie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, they're not all equal. Uh, so it does matter where your calories come from. And I think it also matters that, if you're taking your calories in, if there are other substances like perhaps the antioxidants, or in this case, the different compounds that are turning on the certain one gene, you know, that matter. So again, the wholesome food itself, right, is, is what I think is different than just looking and focusing on the calorie. Excellent. And perhaps the same thing with fat as well, right? Um, does, does the, does wine, red wine or, uh, wine in general help us, um, process fats or does it do anything to our, our fat, uh, processing or is that just, um, is that, you know, again, fat is not fat that it depends on where it's coming from. So that is a really interesting question. I don't know the answer to whether alcohol helps with our fat digestion, um, but I will say that yes, fat is not equivalent um, to you know all fats are not created equally, um, and that's again another myth that I think has been dispelled at least in the last decade that um, there are good fats and there are bad fats, and uh, actually we need pretty high levels of good fats. Excellent. Um, what are, what are, so some, some more benefits. I know that you've got a, a few there written out. Um, <laughs> what's, um, yeah. You know. So, um, so red wine because of the resveratrol does te- uh, seem to protect us from dementia. Um, so a number of studies looking at that and, and the thought there are twofold. One that, uh, red wine does seem to be, or resveratrol does seem to be an anti-inflammatory, in the body. And also that we know that the vascular flow of blood tends to be increased, um, in the brain, um, with the consumption of resveratrol. So, um, the thought being that as we age, the more vascular flow, the more blood flow to our brain protects us against dementia and Alzheimer's and some of those age related, uh, issues with, with memory. Um, we also know that resveratrol is a potent antioxidant. So that actually means that it is scavenging around the body and looking at what we call free radicals, which are substances that are given off, they're kind of toxic to the body. They, they're implicated in aging. Um, and they're given off when we eat unhealthy foods like trans fats or we're smoking cigarettes or you know, sitting around not exercising. We, we create these uh, free radicals in the body. And resveratrol being an antioxidant actually scavenges around and picks those up and kind of gets rid of them. So that's how it helps protect us against dementia and the same process being with cancer. It helps against free radical damage. It also is an anti-inflammatory. Um, and so those are really... Can you, can you talk about um, the, the inflammation and, and as it's acting as an Im- inflammatory? Because I think that there's some, um, there's, there's some backlash against that, that uh, maybe some folks in the medical field say, um, you know, oh, minor inflammation, there's not, not anything to that. Or, you know, um, I'd love your, your perspective on that because uh, there is this idea of kind of this, this underlying inflammation that, that 
that these healthy lifestyle choices might help to reduce and to have the body functioning better, right? Yes, absolutely. So when I talk about inflammation, it's not all bad, right? We need inflammation in the body. So if you have a wound or you have uh, an injury and you need to get blood flow there quickly, we see a process start to happen in the body called inflammation and that increases blood flow. It'll bring all the necessary components to that area to allow healing to happen. But when all those components are there, then we need to shut that process down and we need to go back to sort of a neutral state. Um, and there are many things that will kind of um, put us in that kind of in inflammatory pathway. Um, the most important ones I would say in our society now being, you know, our omega-3 versus omega-6 versus omega-9 intake. Um, so our diets in America tend to be very high in omega-6 and omega-9, which are the types of omega fatty acids we find in grains and in certain plants. Um, but a lot of our livestock are eating those uh, high omega-6 and 9 grains and plants, such as corn and wheat. So we have very, very high amounts of those. We do need them, but not in the amounts that we're getting in our typical American diet. What we see less of are the omega-3 fatty acids. And that, those are the fatty acids that kind of are important in the anti-inflammatory pathway. So we need a balance. Um, both are really important, but we need to have more omega-3. So no, inflammation is not a bad thing. It's just that us being um, through our diet and also stress, our you know kind of chronic stress that we're in, kind of puts us in a chronic state of inflammation. Um, and we can mitigate some of that through diet and of course through stress reduction. Um, I also realized in you know kind of just looking a little bit more in depth, at the benefits of red wine, that um, that it actually does have an effect on our omega-3 fatty acids as well and can increase that in our body. So I thought that was interesting. I had not actually come across that before. D does that give you insight into um, these, these blue zones that have a lot of fish intake, or am I totally off base that have fish and red wine and, um, and these Mediterranean zones? Does that kind of make all sense that it just works all together? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that it does work together and and you're right. I mean, we typically do see these um, blue zone type places um, having a lot of omega-3 intake, a lot of it through seafood um, as well. So, Wow. Wonderful. Um, what, so are there, okay, so let's go, let's go on on the, on the benefits if, if there are more. Um, Absolutely. That come to mind, yeah. Yeah, so along the same lines as kind of weight control and insulin resistance, we do see that, again, you know, the, the studies really looked at the four ounces being moderate consumption for women and double that for men. Um, but in, in a study that was published in um, Cell Metabolism, it was actually shown that, again, through the CERT1 enzyme, uh, insulin sensitivity was improved in mice, at least. And so this could be, you know, helpful in prediabetes and diabetes, um, which is really, I would say, kind of controversial because I think most diabetics would be told, you know, absolutely no red wine, that it's super high in sugar content. But we do find that in some small studies in mice, now we don't know how this will pan out in humans just yet, uh, but that there might, may be implications in diabetes and prediabetes. 
Wow, that's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable, and so much more has to go into this, and I know that there are some, there's also a debate as to, you know, is the wine industry funding some of these uh, studies, or Wine Spectator <laughs> is always publishing, you know, uh, the health benefits, and, and they, they are uh, meant to benefit from it, but, you know, there, there's, um, but I think overall, there, these, are, these are pretty reliable, and uh, a lot less, the wine industry is a lot less part Part of part of the game. Um, well, let's let's go on, and we've got a, a few more minutes before we take a break. And um, I mean, I'm learning a lot here. I did not know of these these benefits as well. So yeah, you know, one more I'll touch on because I think this is also an interesting one is that um, resveratrol also seems to be a phytoestrogen, and there's a lot of confusion about phytoestrogens. So, um, for example, soy is a phytoestrogen as well. And so some people think that that means that the food mimics estrogen. And so for women, for example, who have breast cancer or are survivors of breast cancer, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, phytoestrogens and whether or not that's protective or not protective. So the misconception out there has been that phytoestrogens act like estrogen and will turn on the estrogen receptor. And therefore, if you have like an estrogen sensitive breast cancer or cancer or other process going on, that you would want to avoid those foods. Uh, But in fact, the reverse is true. So what happens is that phytoestrogens actually um, bind in a way to the receptor that doesn't turn it on, but actually doesn't allow estrogen to then bind to the receptor. So uh, it's kind of like a lock and key mechanism. <laughs> so it's almost like sticking you know, a piece of metal into the lock so that the key can't ever fit. And so the cell then doesn't respond to estrogen. So uh, resveratrol acts as a phytoestrogen. So we do see, again, there, there was a study that was actually published in the Journal of Women's Health, and uh, this was uh, research happening at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in LA, and they did find that um, resveratrol and resveratrol that was found in red wine seemed to have an effect, again, in moderate consumption on uh, the recurrence and development of breast cancer in women. Um, so they they certainly did conclude their study not by recommending women go out and you know start drinking red wine, uh, but that if you were going to pick an alcoholic beverage, that red wine might be your option, and to certainly limit it to moderate consumption. Wow. Uh, If you're just tuning in, this is Another Bottle Down, and my name is Mark Rayshap. We're talking here with Dr. Shelley Sethi. Her website is drshellysethi.com, and she has a practice here in Austin uh, specializing in integrative and functional medicine. Uh, We are going to take a short break and hear from our calendar of wine events. If you've been listening in and have a question for Dr. Shelley, uh, give us a call here at the station, 512-4 seven two five six six seven and uh we'll uh we'll we'll try and field whatever questions are out there in this short uh five minute break so five one two uh four seven two k-o-o-p if you have any questions uh for dr shelley and then we'll be back after the calendar of wine and food events and uh, continue our conversation and continue talking about wine as part of a healthy lifestyle and uh, and moderate consumption and all of the benefits uh, therein. So thank you so much for being with us. And we're back. This is 
Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, 91.7 FM, and K-O-O-P dot O-R-G. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down. We talk about wine and the wine industry. Oftentimes, we're, we're tasting a lot of wines blind or meeting winemakers uh, from around the world. If you're interested in wine, definitely tune in every Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, and you can access the archive. If you've missed any of the previous shows, uh, the archive is at K-O-O-P dot O-R-G slash another bottle down Uh, and of course social media and all that kind of stuff we'll be posting pictures and information on the blog as well so today this hour has been all about wine and health and uh, live in the studios, Dr. Shelley Sethi. We did have some calls earlier that uh, we couldn't take because we were in the middle of conversation. If uh, you still have some questions and would like to email me, markrayshap at koop.org, I can make sure that uh, you know we, we, we have a, a maybe an online discussion after the show with uh, Dr. Shelley. So, um, and this is just a, a really wonderful piece for, for me to do, uh, talking about how wine... Uh, creates this sense of community. It creates uh, a a higher quality of life. Um, And we've dug into some of the medical benefits and uh, a lot that I didn't know before the show. So I hope you've been enjoying this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Shelley, for for coming into the co-op studios. Um, I want to, so we talked a lot about health benefits of wine. We talked about digestion. We talked about what you do and, and, and uh, linking a lot of different integrative pieces and finding the origin of certain uh, illnesses. Um, I'd like to ask you just a, about some of the the other things in wine that may be allergens or they may be doing other things. And I think I know that there's a lot of misconceptions about these out there. Um, let, let's talk first about tannin. I know that some people say, oh, you know, I am, uh, I can't have red wine because I'm allergic, allergic to tannin. Is, is there, what do tannins do in the body and, and to the, the bodily functions? So, uh, you know, I think that experientially some people do actually feel an effect of tannins in the body. Um, and typically, you know, the, the types of symptoms they might experience might be sort of an increase in like headaches, um, or kind of a groggy feeling. Um, and so, you know, for those people that they may, that might be their experience and you might be able to tell me a little bit more about what wines they could choose that might be slightly less in those tannins or maybe. Right. So, so, you know, tannin, red wine is so complex as we've been talking about, uh, there's so many things there that I feel it's very difficult when somebody says that they have a reaction to red wine. There's so many things that can kind of be going on that uh, to, to have like a self-diagnosed um, tannin allergy, I, I find um, a little bit tough to kind of sw- to, to swallow a little bit. Um, do you see that? I mean, are there tests for tannin allergies or I mean, is, is it a very complex thing? You know, I've never run a test for tannin allergy. Um, I imagine that through an allergist that could be done. Um, But like you said, it is quite a complex substance. And I think, you know, what might be happening a little bit more could be more of a histamine response. Ah, Um, That was next on my list. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Right. So, so tannin being being that uh, the, the 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 molecules that um, are making your mouth dry. They're binding with proteins, and they're found in the skins, the stems, 
the seeds and barrels. And so uh, when you have white wine that is uh, pressed uh, right away and you don't have all of those influences from the skins, the stems, the seeds, the barrels, uh, then you're going to have not no presence of tannin. And so it's your, your red wines. But, but really a wine that is lighter in color often has lesser tannin. Um, but you really, really can't tell unless you, you taste it. And if it has that really aggressive dry feeling, which in the in wine speak it, we don't use the word dry for that that sensation. That's astringency, but um, but the, that is how you can tell. But then there's also many many different categories of tannins that are harsher or softer. So it's a very diverse group of molecules. Very hard to to separate. So what, but I think that what most people when they have a problem with red wine, it's not the tannin, it's the histamine. So we could probably talk another hour about histamines, and we only have five five to seven <laughs> minutes left here. So talk about histamines and what, what the effect on the body or, or the body produces them or are they in the beverage? What's going on? So histamines are part of, within the body, they're sort of part of the inflammatory process. And uh, they're, they're important, but um, if there are too many of them in the body all at once, what you're going to experience are, you know, the symptoms of like when you have an allergy, right? So you're sneezing, you've got watery eyes, you're, you're kind of um, just feeling really brain foggy. Um, and so there's a number of things that histamines can do in the body in excess that don't make us feel great. Um, Histamine is also produced a bit in the gut, and I think what's really interesting about histamine is that a lot of people do have a true histamine allergy, right? Not a true histamine allergy, but they do have kind of excess amounts of histamine in their body, um, and they might be reacting to that. So substances that are high in histamine, which are, they tend to be fermented substances, which is why we see that um, red wines can have higher amounts of histamine. Um, you know, those may not be the best choices for those people, but of interest, um, what I've noted in my practice, at least with my patients is that when I do have somebody who has kind of typical signs of increased histamine response, like they may break out in hives or they react pretty strongly to red wine or fermented foods. Um, we actually, when we clean up the gut, and get the gut kind of back to a normal health, what we see is that that response diminishes. And I think that's because the foods that contain histamine that are taken in through the gut, uh, including red wine, you know, the histamine doesn't leak out into the bloodstream and, and cause that response. So it may not be a true histamine um, excess in the body, um, but really it might be more of a matter of um, the gut needing healing. Right. And uh, and then, you know, you'll be able to tolerate some of those higher histamine foods. Which could also lead us back to um, in the old world, in, you know, France and Italy and Spain, there's very few people who have allergic reactions to wine. Uh, and that might be because they just have, you know, a healthier kind of overall uh, as a population, a, a healthier gut. Absolutely. Um, so and and for so red wine and we should say that um, that so histamines are produced primarily in red wine uh, and when there is more of an industrial sort of production uh, where fermentations are not monitored uh, very very closely. 
and you don't have all these micro fermentations where the winemaker is making sure that there are no off smells and whatnot, the the yeast can actually produce a higher level of histamine content in the wine if they are under more stressful conditions. So um, maybe you know if there is a if there is a histamine response uh, going for maybe more small lot fermentation type stuff might be might be a way to hedge your bets there. Um, let's talk about sulfites. Uh, sulfites are always, it's always kind of the elephant in the room because the, the wine industry reg- regulates, you have to put contained sulfites on the bottle. What are, are, what do sulfites actually do to the body? And are some people allergic or some people not? Um, and I can talk about where, where they come from on the wine side. Yeah, so again, sulfites being one of those chemicals that, you know, does have a kind of a necessary function in the body, but some people may lack the enzyme to sort of break down the sulfites very well. And so then they get a bit of uh, an excess. And, you know, again, they can have symptoms of, you know, headaches or kind of that really bad hangover (laughs) the next day, even from just a small amount of wine. From a small Um, amount. Yeah. And so how do you know that? Well, Obviously, by experience um, is probably how they know it. But also now, um, you know, there are a number of genetic tests that you can do to look at how well you um, break down sulfates and sulfites. Um, so that's that's one possibility if you really wanted to try to figure it out. Oh, wonderful! I didn't know that. I, th- I thought that th- I thought that the testing was very complicated and that it actually went through a series of being. You know, the the, the patient had to identify the level once it started to give them a problem, and and so that might have been old school and now they actually have this conclusive genetic test well i i won't say it's conclusive Uh, (laughs) um the the genetics and epigenetics that we're using these days is is quite complicated uh, because there's a number of genes that are typically associated with one thing so it's not like you can identify one gene uh and one sort of what we call a snip in that gene um and then directly say that they would have a problem with the sulfites um so it's a number of things um and as we're learning more and collecting more data from people actually with genetics, we are just going to have much more information in the future. Well, Dr. Shelley, we, ha- we have just a few minutes left. Um, and so I'd like you to talk about, you know, we've touched on inflammation. You uh, talk about a low inflammation diet. Is that, uh, is, is that right? And uh, tell us the ins and outs of that, uh, that might kind of help this gut health and, and help, you know, kind of buffer the effects of the bad effects of wine. Yeah, so my patients love it because I give them a food pyramid, and it is the anti-inflammatory diet. Um, Dr. Uh, um, Andrew Weil, who is my mentor, my the person I trained under for integrative medicine, actually sort of created this. And it's essentially the Mediterranean diet with some other uh, components from uh, you know Asia and some other countries, including spices and things like that, that aren't typically in the Mediterranean diet. Uh, but right at the top of it is a small little triangle with a glass of red wine and a bit of dark chocolate. (laughs) So they get very excited. Um, And, uh, you know, for most people, this is a good way of kind of a good choice as far as to start with um, in terms of picking a healthy diet. Um, And it's a lot of, you know, fruits and vegetables in abundance kind of across the bottom, Um, you know, protein sources coming from various protein sources, nuts, healthy fats, such as olive oil. We see that a lot in Mediterranean countries, Um, you know, a number of spices and herbs. And then again, at the very top of it, 
your glass of red wine and, and dark chocolate. So, um, I think it's a, you know, it's a good, it's a good, easy way to kind of have a lifestyle way of eating. That's not, um, you know, denying some of the pleasures and also giving you the health benefits that you need. All right. Well, let's do it over a three-hour meal. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Shelley, uh, Dr. Shelley Sethi, thank you so much for coming in the co-op studios. It's been a wonderful hour. Again, folks can re-listen. Uh, they can check out uh, Dr. Shelley Sethi's website, drshelleysethi.com. I will post a link on the co-op blog so uh, that we're out of time. And Dr. Shelley, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And let's stay in touch, and uh, we'll keep you post, uh, up, up to date with any any other studies, and, and uh, if there's more more health benefits to wine. We'll talk about them here. So have a wonderful week and uh, we'll see you next week, folks.